Good morning, saints. Good morning, holy ones. Isn't that awesome? Good morning, holy ones. In Christ, we are holy and blameless. Awesome. All because of Him. All because of Him. Wow. What a rest. I want to share some thoughts this morning about, about that, about the rest. And continue a little bit more about what we said last Sunday. If you weren't here last Sunday, I really want to encourage you to, to um, listen to that message online. We called it The Amazing Mind of Christ. And it's really, I think it would really help, um, if you haven't heard it, encourage you to see God's mindset, God's perspective on man and, and, uh, and what he's all about. It's really, I think, a really encouraging message that will maybe, um, to me, it answers the question why some people don't, don't get grace because they're still thinking in the natural mindset, which is a product of the tree of right and wrong. And so to, to break away from that product, the natural mindset, the natural mind, the spiritual things of God are foolishness to the natural mind because it's a product of the tree of the knowledge of right and wrong. But their tree, the tree of life has a whole different mindset to it. That's why the Lord said, don't eat of that tree. And the moment they ate of that tree, they began, focused, began getting focused on themselves. They saw their own nakedness. They hid from God in fear and shame. And God said, who told you you were naked? That's not part of the plan. That was not part of the plan. Because God's ways are not our ways. So the tree of life is a whole different mindset. The mind of Christ is a whole different perspective on the human race, on God, everything. Which is why it is a revelation. You can't get this through just reasoning or through your intellect alone. There is a way that seems right to a man, the scripture says, but the end thereof is death. It must be a revelation of the spirit or you cannot see and understand these things. Who can know the thoughts of God, Paul said? Who can know the thoughts of God but the spirit of God? And the spirit of God has been given to us that we might know freely his thoughts, his mind, how he sees things. So... Anyway, I just want to continue on that thought, and I want to kind of focus on the, the letter of the, to the Hebrews today um, and talk about how the Jewish mind was, was just all about works. The Jewish mind was all about seeking righteousness by works. It was just, that was it. So when the Lord came in contrast to that mindset of a righteousness by works, by obedience to God... When the Lord came with a contrast to that thinking, sparks flew. And he, the book of Hebrews, if you, if you wanted to, to summarize the book of Hebrews and in, in, in just in the simplicity of what the writer's trying to do, the book of Hebrews is the writer appealing to the Jewish mind who is obsessed with sin and righteousness in the way of works and seeking righteousness by works, the Jewish mind, which, is, which is, was raised that way, the writer to the Hebrews is up trying to appeal to that Jewish mind and bring them from that place of effort to rest, to faith. The revelation of faith. Galatians says that faith was not revealed. The way of faith was not revealed until Christ came. Galatians. 
doesn't mean the Jewish people didn't understand faith and believing in God and trusting God for provision, trusting God for protection, trusting God to help them in their battles, trusting God. Faith in that sense was no problem. In fact, that was all in preparation for the biggie, the big revelation of what? Of faith for righteousness. That is what the revelation, that's, that's what was revealed because there was nothing to believe to be righteous before Jesus came. There was nothing to believe to be righteous. In fact, that didn't compute with the Jewish mind. What do you mean faith for righteousness? No, 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 no. Righteousness is a function of obedience to law. Uh, how can you believe your way into righteousness? You know, that doesn't make any sense. Even the sacrifices, the bulls, the lambs, the goats, those were not acts of faith. They were acts of obedience to statutes and commandments and ordinances. And they had to follow everything. They had to cut the animal the right way. They had to have the priest done. They had to go certain days. The uh, day of atonement, the priest had to have certain garments. This is not done in faith. This is not faith. This is obedience. And if you don't do it right, if you don't obey right, you get killed. If you, don't, if you touch the ark and whatever. It's, this was all about obedience. But in those rituals, in that temple, in that priesthood, in those sacrifices was hidden the shadows of the good thing to come. Yes. And that's what the letter to the Hebrews is trying to say to his brothers. This was all hidden in our covenant. This was all hidden. And now it's come to reality. Rest. The true Sabbath rest has come. Chapter 4, book of Hebrews. And that's what he's focusing on in Hebrews. And that's why he says, that's why he says, now the main thing in the book of Hebrews is, now the main thing we've said in this, the main thing is that we have a high priest who has passed into the heavens. Why was that important to the Jewish mind? That had everything to do with sin. Sin. The high priest, once a year, Day of Atonement, was one of the most joyous times in Israel's life. Because in that day, on that Day of Atonement, even the sins committed, the Scripture says, without their knowledge, without their conscious awareness, they were cleansed. They were covered once a year from everything. Even sacrifices they forgot to bring during the year for certain sins that they were supposed to bring, covered everybody. So a high priest who has offered himself up once for all sin, for all people, not of earth, who has passed into the heavenlies, who sits, a high priest who sits, for they never sat, the writer says to the Hebrews in the temple, for their work was never done, for they had to cover the sins over and over and over again. This one sits at the right hand God. It's over? It's really over? Rest? Rest. <laughs> it's awesome. So this letter is powerful. The Hebrew letter is powerful to bring this new mindset to people to see that God has done it. He's done it all. He's, and He calls us to enter into this rest. Let's pray real quick and we'll, we'll jump into this. I think we've already jumped a little bit. <laughs> Lord, thank you so much for the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. You cut it like with a knife. 
is so powerful, so thick, so awesome to teach us heavenly things. Thank you, Lord, that we are filled with your spirit. We are holy because of you. We are the holy ones, the blameless ones, because of Christ. Joined to you, we are as you are. For as you are, we are in this world now. What an awesome reality. What an awesome light. For we lift this shield of faith that quenches every missile, every fiery dart of the evil one. We rest as sons and daughters of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Your mercies are new every morning. For you are the sunrise from on high who has visited us. And now we live in that sunrise, an eternal horizon ever opening to new journeys, new vistas of the revelation of Christ. We focus on you, Lord, not ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. The, uh, I think, yeah. Oh, thanks. Oh, oh good. I guess it's supposed to be. Oh, that's going to mess it up. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, bud. <clears throat> think about this, saints. When they, when the Lord came, think about what he was doing and how he taught. Because sometimes I think we get confused, like, why did he say that? And why did he say that? You know, how does it fit in the new covenant of grace? Because he would say things like, for instance, um, you have heard... Thou shalt not kill, but I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. Or we've heard him say things like, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you that if you, even if you lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Now, preachers have taken those words and said, see, the new covenant is even tougher than the old covenant. God has raised the standard. God expects us to not have any lust in our heart and never be mad at our neighbor. And if we are, we're a murderer and adulterer. And, and preachers preach that from the pulpit. That what Jesus was doing was raising the standard, that he was really bringing in the true standard of the law, and we better obey. For unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will in no wise enter the, heaven, the kingdom of heaven, he said. And preachers take that and say, see, you better be better than those, the best. But what was he doing? See, the Son of God came to do two things in his teaching. He stood at the moment in history where everything would change. He would say things like, the hour is coming and now is. The hour is coming and now is. The two things he came to do to the Jewish, especially to the Jewish mind, because he was sent first to the house of Israel, the two things he came to do was first to magnify the law. The scripture says when Messiah comes, he will magnify the law and bring its true light to bear. Where all those who tried to hide by their, their acts of good deeds from the righteous blazing demands of God could not hide. 
He came to blaze it so clear and so powerfully that the Pharisees who thought they were righteous were blown away. And they got angry about it. But those who were poor in spirit said, oh, I know. I know, I can't do this. And he says, you say you were blind. Now you will see. But they, the Pharisees, say they see. They shall remain blind. See, he came to, to exalt the law, to bring God's righteousness to bear in all of its glory. And, and, and he himself, an example of it, which of you could convince me of sin? What man could say that? I mean, he was like perfect righteousness declaring what God deems as righteous for the purpose of bringing men to the end of themselves. Paul writes about it in Romans. He says that every mouth might be shut. The problem with the Pharisees, they talk too much. (laughs) They're still talking about their righteousness. They're still talking about their righteousness. When the mouths are shut, then they're getting it. Just like the ones that had the stones to bear, to throw the stones at the woman caught in adultery. It was the oldest ones that left first. They shut up first. Because they know how much they failed in their life. The young ones, they were the last to leave with the stones in their hands. Last to shut up. Righteousness had come and it was blazing before them. That's why he said things like that. So the one thing he did was turn to the Jews and say things that would bring them to the end of themselves. Also, he would say things like when he would heal the sick, he would say, take a sacrifice to the priest as a testimony to them. For they sit in Moses' seat for now. The hour is coming. Now is, there's going to be a transition. But for now, the old covenant is in force. Galatians says he was born of a woman, born under the law. The Christ came, born of a woman, under the law. The new covenant did not begin until he said, it is finished, and gave up his spirit, and the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. That's when the new covenant began. As Hebrew says, the blood of the covenant, or the blood of, of, uh, or the the death of the testator, is when the will is enforced. Hebrews is saying, he, the son, had all this. He was given all these things, but we could not inherit it until he died. And through his death, the inheritance would flow to all who would believe. Co-heirs with him. So he's talking to the Jewish people, and then the scripture says it, but to his own. He would say one thing to the crowds. But to his own, he would turn and say, but to you is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Something new is coming. To you is something. I'm, I'm going to talk to you differently than I talk to them. I'm telling them about how, what righteousness really is, and it's blowing them away. And hopefully they'll shut their mouths. And say they're blind and say that they're ready to receive something new and different that the prophet said was coming. But to you, I'm going to talk to you about a mystery. I'm going to talk to you about a kingdom. I'm going to talk to you about another reality. And I'm going to talk to you about seeds. And I'm going to talk to you about birds. I'm going to talk to you about, what, what is this? He was bringing this whole new reality to those who had ears to hear. 
the new mind set, the mind of Christ was coming to bring especially the Jewish people first to rest. So let's look at some passages in Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 4. I really feel his pleasure this morning. You feel that? I love that scene in Chariots of Fire, you know, when, he, when Eric Liddell is talking to his sister. She's the missionary that thinks he's compromising on his missionary work in China. And, and you know, and she's all upset that he wants to run these races in the Olympics. And instead of being in China and the mission and preaching the gospel to the Chinese, and, and she's all upset. And, and Eric Liddell is talking to his sister. And he goes, but what's, what was her name? Uh, I can't think of her name, the sister's name. But he said to her, he goes, but you don't understand. God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I love that. God had a plan. <laughs> that, that run he did. He could, you, could see, you could see when the pleasure of God kicked in when he was running because he would just put his head back. And just like, God would just run through him. Awesome. Um, okay, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Let's start with um, just verse 1. So much here. Therefore, let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any of you should seem to have come short of it. He's talking to his Jewish brothers. He's trying to convince his Hebrew brothers of this way of faith. And he says, look, in a sense, he's saying, you know, you talk about fearing God. You talk about fearing God and, and you know, not sinning and so forth. He goes, if you want to fear something, fear this. Fear that you don't get the good news. Fear that you miss grace to his Jewish brothers. Verse 2, for indeed we have, we have had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest just as he said. Now, what's he refer- what he's referring to in, is at the end of chapter 3. I didn't read that part. But he's talking about how they came out of Egypt into the wilderness and to the promised land. And the good news preached to Israel was, I have prepared a land for you full of milk and honey, the promised land. And in this land, you will not need to build houses... No work. They are, they're already built for you. You will not need to plant vineyards. They're already planted for you. And you will not need to irrigate your fields as in Egypt, for the rain shall fall from the heavens and water it while you sleep. A promised land filled with milk and honey. It was a picture of Christ. But that good news that they heard did not profit them because only 10 of the 12 spies believed, I mean, or only two of the 10, two of the 12, only two of the 12 spies believed. And so for 40 years they wandered in this wilderness until Joshua and Caleb brought them in and said, We are able. They are bread for us. So the good news profited them because they united it or mixed it with faith. They believed. 
promised land was also a picture of rest. They talked about you shall enter rest. Part of rest is to, to know that you're taken care of and God will fight your enemies for you. And that's what the promise was in this promised land, that he would fight the enemies and provide for them. They could rest. They could enjoy life. Okay, now watch this. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he also, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's what God said to Israel, who didn't believe. He was angry that they did not believe that he was able to bring them in, so they wandered for 40 years. But he did bring in the remnant that did believe. And the writer is saying, there's a rest for us, just like that. For he says here, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So what the writer is saying here is that he's talking about his rest. Because it's, a, it's, a, it's alluding to when he finished everything and he rested on the seventh day, the Sabbath. So the writer is saying there's a rest that God is talking about here that he spoke about symbolically to Israel and they didn't get it. But let's see, what, let's see what, he, what else he says here. Look at the next verse, verse 4. For he has thus said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, this passage, they shall not enter my rest. So the writer is saying, look at this. When he created all things, he, he rested. And then later, in a passage through the prophets, he's saying uh, something about entering his rest. So what the, what the writer is saying is that what God did in the beginning in creating all things and then resting on the seventh day, he was showing us a picture of his rest when all things are done and there's nothing left for man to do but to let the clock tick to Saturday and now you're in the day of rest without doing anything because he's did it. he did it all. Man was made on the sixth day. Everything was done before that to prepare for man. So as the seventh day rolled around, nothing had to be done. Watch this. This is so cool. But he's referring to it as his rest. Like there's something special about it. And it is. Look at verse uh, 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached them failed to enter because of disobedience, which is actually the disobedience of unbelief. Verse 7, he again fixes a certain day. Today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, the one who did bring him in the promised land, if Joshua had given them this rest that he's talking about, he would not have spoken of another day after that through David. You see what the writer's saying here? That God is speaking in types and shadows. The rest of the Sabbath in creation was a picture of something coming that he called my rest. The rest of the new promised land filled with milk and honey was a picture of the rest that was coming. For if Joshua had brought them to the real rest, the final rest that he's referring to, then he would not have spoken about this rest again many years later through David. My rest. So the writer is saying, God is saying something awesome here from the beginning of time. He has said, I have called man into a rest. Now he's writing to these Hebrew thinkers, these Hebrew brothers, who they're all about works. They're all about doing. And he's saying, look at this, look at this. Something has been hidden in the scriptures from the beginning. 
about a rest. Let's read on. Verse 9. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest, his rest is the key, has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. This sets the tone of the letter to the Hebrews. And then he brings in the details about the finished work of Christ, the high priest who has finished once for all and taken away the sin of the world. No longer covering sin, but taking it away so that we can rest, so the Jewish mind can rest and cease from his own works as God did cease from his. Rest. Now look at this next verse. So cool. For the one who has entered, I gotta read that again. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. He's talking to his Jewish brothers that are hanging on to law, hanging on to obedience by works, righteousness, righteousness by works. He's saying, look, be diligent to get this and believe. Lest anyone fall through the same example of disobedience of unbelief like the, the Jewish people who didn't believe that God could bring them into the promised land. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confidence, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Awesome. Now, most of the time we hear that, that passage talked about the the Word of God being sharper than any two-edged sword. And you'll hear teaching that talks about the Word of God in a general way. Like the Bible, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. That's not what he's saying here. It's not just any word in the Bible that he's referring to here. He's referring to the Word of rest. He's referring to the Word of the finished work of Christ. That is the sharp sword. That the, the works-obsessed person cuts. It cuts. It's the one who seeks his own righteousness that it cuts. That's the word of the finished work of Christ is the sharper than any two-edged sword. And we also hear that passage taught a lot of times that this is all about the soul and the spirit being divided by the sword. No. That's not what this is saying. Have you ever noticed that in the teachings about this passage, people kind of just forget about the blood uh, the marrow and the bones I mean what's that in there for the bones and the marrow I mean they just kind of forget about that they go right to soul and spirit and they talk about how the word of God any word in the Bible cuts you know so it's just confusing that's not what that's saying it's a very simple direct clear word of rest that is the sharp word of God and that sharp word of God comes what he's saying here saints that's why he couples he couples look how he couples this the writer is coupling the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. What is being divided here? It's the visible from the invisible. Joints and marrow, the body. 
The typical sword can only pierce as deep as the marrow. That's the deepest part of your being is where blood is made in the marrow of the bone. The, the, the uh, joints speak of uh, motion. But the sword, a sword in battle can go through the bone and cut into the marrow, but that's as deep as a sword can go. But God's sword is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces past the visible body. It cuts to the invisible person. It cuts to the soul and spirit. He's not talking about dividing soul and spirit here. He's talking about the inner invisible person is what is touched by this word of rest. It reveals the thoughts, soul, and intense spirit of the person. Thoughts, intents of the person because of the word of rest causes this person to be exposed. If he's seeking self-righteousness, it reveals it. For we have him who we stand naked before him to whom we have to do, the scripture says. It reveals a self-righteousness or it reveals a hunger for God. Most religious people really don't want God. They want to be thought of as godly by other men. Most people do not, most religious people do not want God Himself. They want to be thought of as godly by other men. And that's exactly why this sword pierces and reveals the pride and self righteousness of the Pharisee. But to those who hunger for God, it's good news. And we know that we have a high priest who can be touched with all the weaknesses of our infirmities. We have no fear because we want Him. We want Him. We don't seek the praise of men, but the praise of God. And that's what's so cool about this. It separates those who want God and those who just want to be thought of as godly. It's awesome. For those who want to be thought of as godly are the ones who crucified Him. But those who really want Him, warts and all, they come boldly to a throne of grace. Because we have a high priest who can be touched with all our weaknesses and our feelings and our hurts. And He's done it. And he sits down on the right hand of God and he says, come boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. Woo! That's what that's saying, saints. And, and he couples the, the, uh, the, the, the joints and the marrow with soul and spirit because the joints correspond with soul, motion, soul, movement. And the marrow corresponds with spirit, the source of life. So he, so he couples joints and marrow, the physical body, visible body, with the soul and spirit, the invisible body, the invisible person. Couples it because this sword pierces through the visible into the invisible person, revealing the thoughts and intents of the invisible person. Isn't that awesome? That's what he's saying there. And the Word of God, I can't say this enough, the Word of God mentioned here is not some general Word of God. It is the Word of rest. It is the Word of the finished work of Christ. Whew. And that's why he says, let's hold fast our confidence firm unto the end. Those who have believed. Take a look at this real quick in Luke. It always bothered me how people just left the, the bones and the marrow just hanging there. <laughs> they, they, they never explained what that's in there for. And the reason why is because they didn't see the visible invisible. They didn't see spiritual circumcision. They didn't see the whole truth about how sin has been now quarantined to the body. That this powerful weapon of God, this good news, literally cuts away the body of the flesh, Colossians says, and translates you, the real you, the person, from this kingdom to the other kingdom. 
That's why your sin cannot touch you. you. That's why your sin is separated from you as far as the east is from the west because you're not even in the same dimension. You're in the Spirit. And if you're in the Spirit, you're not in your sin, Jesus said. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, in Christ. There's no way your sin can be attached to you now because He has detached your body and left sin quarantined in a very mysterious work that only God can do by His own hand, Colossians says, God did it. And cut away the body of the flesh. That's why your inner being, that's why you have rivers, rivers of living water flowing from your innermost being in union with Him. Because you are holy. Because He has made it so. You are other as He is other. Awesome. Okay, Luke. Let's look at Luke real quick. The apostles talked a lot about the sin in our members, how God has kept the power of sin in our body, in our members of our body. Rarely is that taught in the church today. Rarely understood. And that's why we see ourselves with an evil heart, even though we're believers. It's awesome. God did something so awesome. <laughs> okay, let's just look at it real quick. Uh, look at Luke. If I can find it. Yeah, Luke chapter 2. I love this. Luke chapter 2, let's start verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. When you see that phrase like righteous and devout, that means according to, blameless according to the law as men see it. That's why Paul says in the Philippian letter, I was blameless as the law, blameless. He knew he wasn't righteous, but as men see him, he was a pretty good guy. And that's what this is talking about. This, this was a good man. Still needing the righteousness of Christ, of course, because we must be perfect or we cannot enter heaven. And perfection comes only as a gift from God. So don't let that throw you off. Um, this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Notice, upon him, not in him. He was not regenerated yet because the Holy Spirit could not yet be given, John said, until Christ was glorified. Could not be given in a regenerative way. He could not be joined to God. He could not be translated to another kingdom. He could not be made a new creation. He could not be given a new heart until Christ did his work. It was upon him, but not in him. Looking for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou hast let thy bondservant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. That's Joseph and Mary, amazed. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed 
and a sword will pierce even your own soul, Mary, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You see it? That's exactly what Hebrews is saying in chapter 4. The sword of this one, the message that he is the salvation of the world. Not that, he, not that he comes to give it, but he is the salvation. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. That sword of rest to cease from your own works and trying to find righteousness by self-effort shall pierce even your own soul, Mary, for you too need redemption, Mary. And you must choose that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. For this child is set for the fall and rise of many in Israel. Many of the big leaders will fall and many of the small will rise because they'll receive him. The Lord's Christ. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just thank you that you're opening our eyes to see things so clearly now. You spoke to the Jewish people about the law that they might come to you and believe. You spoke to your own about the mysteries of the kingdom that they too might believe. Lord, thank you for the awesome reality of the rest. For he has done all things. And he who believes has entered into his rest, even as God did rest and ceased from his own works. So do we who believe. Romans, real quick, and we'll close here. Romans. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verse 30, and we'll close here. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel... Pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, but he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for this day. I pray that we would, Lord, as we sing this morning and worship, that we would sing from the heavens. Thank you, God, that we don't have to sing you down anymore, but we are in you and you are in us. Seated with you in the heavenly places. I pray that we would be a comfort and a blessing to all who are here today. 
Help us see the downtrodden. Help us see with your eyes those who are down. Help us see with your eyes those that need encouragement. And help us speak that word of comfort and encouragement to the body of Christ. For he has done all things well. Fear not. Peace. 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 Amen.